Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Academic Life, a podcast channel here on New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Gessler, and today we'll be talking to Harlan Cohen about his book, Win or Learn, The Naked Truth About Turning Every Rejection into Your Ultimate Success. Welcome to the show, Harlan. Hi, Dr. Gessler. It's great to be here. I am so glad that you're here and that we get to talk about this incredibly uncomfortable topic of rejection because we really need to talk about it. Um, But before we dive into that, I wonder if you'll please tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, I'd love to. So I have been in the field of rejection my whole life. Uh, I started getting rejected as a kid, Uh, I'd say maybe in middle school. uh, I was really overweight. And uh, that was a challenge for me. Uh, very funny, though. So people would, uh, you know, they, they liked being around me because I'd make them laugh. Uh, and I always knew if people were laughing, they weren't going to make fun of me or say something that could be hurtful. So my sense of humor became a real asset for me. And then uh, throughout high school, I, I struggled, at least in the beginning. Transitions have always been very hard for me. Uh, the transition from middle school to high school I really struggled. It took me a few years to really get my footing and I got more comfortable in my skin. I, I worked to really uh, just be 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 more comfortable with who I saw in the mirror. But then, uh, you know, in between my ears, there were there were some problems because I never felt good enough and, and really struggled. Uh, although I had a lot of external success as I navigated through the the end of high school, uh, I really had a hard time just just feeling good about me. So when I went from high school to college, I, I struggled again, transition and change. There you go. I mean, it's something that's not unique to me, but it's something that I was discovering and, and really feeling uh, completely and not knowing that it was normal. So I went to college. I transferred to another college after a year, uh, finally got through that, finished on top. Really, uh, the story is struggle, 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 Big win, big win, big win. Struggle, struggle, struggle. Uh, so then, after I graduated from from uh, college, I had been writing an advice column called "Help Me, Harlan," and I, I, it's an interesting story of how I got that opportunity. But I decided I wanted to continue writing my advice column and become a syndicated advice columnist. So I set out for that goal, and eventually I reached it, which was pretty cool. Uh, started to write books, uh, have a bunch of books, but everything is about change and navigating challenges. Uh, the the book that came before Win or Learn is The Naked Roommate and 107 Other Issues You Might Run Into in College. And, and that book has over a million copies in print and just helps a ton of students because it helps them to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And uh, I have another book on, on navigating uh, being a father and another book uh, to help parents to navigate the college change. But there's this constant runner of navigating change and working through challenges. And that brings me to Win or Learn, because Win or Learn is really, in the simplest form, it's almost embarrassingly simple. <laughs> and uh, it's it's just written in a way that's, you know, it's, it's not long, it's double spaced, there are pictures. But at the core, it provides a framework to help navigate change overcome challenges, create community, and find a pathway to get wherever you want to go. And I'm really proud of it. I really appreciate that it is a short book and the way that it's laid out. I am a firm believer that the more difficult the topic, the more simply it has to be explained for people to be able to start taking it in. Just even the word rejection feels heavy. And for people to be able to 
feel like they want to look at that thing that they don't want to look at, it really helps that it's a, it's a visually pleasing book. The cover is a nice color. It's got graphics. It makes you feel like you can read it. And a lot of times that's part of the hurdle. Some books are just daunting the way they look. I know we're not supposed to judge anything by its cover, but I think that we have these unconscious biases and we also have some dread about different topics. So if the book looks like we can digest it. You know, it's a little over a hundred pages long. It's got graphics. It's got bright colors. There's not too much content. So we can really sit with our feelings and process. That's a win-win. Well, I'm, I'm glad that it landed that way because, you know, this is the shortest book that I've written, but it's also a book that encapsulates, you know, a 25 year journey and provides just this very simple framework. And, and for anybody listening, the framework is so easy. It's what do I want, you know, which I dig into, what makes me uncomfortable. And then it's people, places, patience. And then it's telling your story as if it's happened and celebrating, reflecting and repeating this process. So it's what do I want? What makes me uncomfortable? People, places, patience. Tell my story, celebrate, reflect, and repeat. And, and, and this simple process of navigating any change using these five steps, it works. I mean, it is unbelievable. It works for everything. And what's really beautiful is it plugs so nicely into growth mindset. You know, I, I think that one of the contributions of this book, and, I, and I'm really, again, I'm grateful to be able to share this with you and your listeners, is Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, really groundbreaking when it comes to helping people to learn to be forgiving of themselves. But the one piece that I find is missing when it comes to risk-taking and growth and learning is this understanding that there is a law of the universe called the universal rejection truth. And this law of the universe, this undeniable law of the universe says, not everyone and everything is always going to respond to me the way I always want. I can be the best. I can be the brightest. I can be the most qualified. I can be the most deserving. But not everyone and everything is always going to respond to me the way I want. So knowing that I could be capable, knowing that I can have the intellect, knowing that I'm worthy and deserving, but also knowing that there is a law of nature at play, it then means if I don't get the results I desire, it doesn't have to be a reflection on me necessarily. It can be a reflection of this law of the universe, this universal rejection truth which makes learning and growing something that everyone should do, you know, you would need to do if you're doing it right, because that's part of the process. You touched earlier on when, uh, when you were introducing yourself about your journey through college, and you talk more about it in the book. Would you tell us a bit about your experience about college and transferring to your other college? Because I think that starts to unpack for us um, some of these principles that you outline in the book. Yeah, so I'm the youngest of three kids, and you know I'm really blessed. I, I'm I'm a, a Caucasian male, and I come from a, a really wonderful family. And I've been giving, I've been given enormous privilege. And I, I work a lot with underrepresented first generation students, and it is remarkable the amount of privilege that I have been able to access throughout my life. So I was able to go to college, uh, you know, supported through college. And when I got to college, like I struggled. 
And it was really hard for me to find friends. And it was really hard for me to find connection. And it was really difficult to find community. Uh, my roommate wasn't my best friend. I, I couldn't get into a fraternity. I, I got rejected by several of them. I didn't really know how to find friends. I was really awkward and uncomfortable, and I had no outside affirmation or support to help me to really find my people and places. And I struggled, and I got really depressed, and I got really down. And eventually, it became too hard for me to even put myself in unfamiliar situations, to, to go into a room and be part of a club or organization. And also, what I felt was a ten, intense shame because I had this, this enormous sense of failure because I've been given so much privilege and, and it should seemingly be easy, but yet I couldn't figure it out. Like I, I must've been the biggest loser in the world. You know, my girlfriend broke up with me. I had a girlfriend. There was a, it was a miracle. I had a girlfriend in high school. That's at least how I saw it. And she broke up with me and I was so alone and I was so uncomfortable and I was so afraid to tell people how I felt. And eventually, I, I worked through it. Uh, but part of the process was I said, I have to leave here. I can't continue here. I, I got through the whole year, but I decided to transfer. And the reason I transferred is because Indiana University, that's, the other, that's where I transferred to. And I should mention, I was at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. I'm from the Chicago area. I love Madison. It's great. The problem wasn't the school. The problem was me. I transferred to Indiana University, and my brothers, they had both been students there for years. Uh, my oldest brother's eight years older. My other brother's five years older. So when I went there, I had familiarity. There was a place. There were people. I was a legacy in the fraternity. I knew people from high school. And it was still hard, but I was able to find my way. And what I recognized over the years, and at Indiana, I really got involved. I became you know, very uh, widely read in the Indiana Daily Student, a paper of you know twenty three thousand students or circulation. It was a huge paper. Uh, my Help Me Harlan advice column gave me access to so many students, and these students would share their stories, their questions. And what I learned over the years is that I wasn't alone. That there were so many students who were struggling, suffering in silence, and I was able to find resources and support and guide and and offer uh, advice. And understanding this and having this window into this world empowered me to become much more comfortable sharing my own struggles, and it enabled me to understand so many other people's, and that's what I'm able to share. The, the headline of life is that life is difficult, our emotions are real, and we don't learn how to cope and deal with change. In chapter two, which is called Get Comfortable with the Uncomfortable, you tell us about uh, a time when you were in college and you ended up with an unexpected windfall and wanted to spend the money to go uh, visit your brother in California. And he pitched an idea to you and you immediately rejected it. And that is an example of what you call self-rejection. Can you take us back to that time in college when you went to see your brother and tell us that story? Yeah. So it, it was this weird thing where, you know, my dad grew up going to the racetrack once in a while. And it, it's just, you know, we, we don't go to the track much. He, he's not a gambler, but we would go occasionally. And, you know, I'd I'd bet $2 and I won like several hundred dollars. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I gave it right to my mom and said, I have to visit my brother in California. Uh, my brother was a writer at the time on a, on a show. And I, I called him and said, I'm going to visit you over winter break because I want to see you. 
And he was excited. And then he said, hey, Har, why don't you try and get an internship? And that was a scary thought because at this time I was a junior in college and I, life was was pretty good. And I was kind of afraid to leave. And uh, I said, oh, that's interesting. And he said, why don't you try and get an internship with The Tonight Show? When it was Jay Leno at the time hosting. And I said, I said, that's a stupid idea. Like, why don't you just, you know, just shut up. This is a stupid idea. I got to go. Right. And uh, I was really upset. And it wasn't that I was upset that he brought up this really great idea. In my mind, it was, how could you even think that I'm worthy and deserving of this and put me in a position where I can have hope and then get hurt and be disappointed and to be so far away? All these things were so scary. There were were so many risks. And my knee-jerk reaction was to shut it down and to shut him down and run the other way. But... After reflecting for a few minutes, there was also this other voice in my head, and he has said this, and you know, I'm very lucky to have a very supportive family emotionally, and it was, you know, someone's got to be an intern, and someone's got to do this, and well, why can't it be me? And, and then I, I started to think about it, and then I, I decided, well, you know, let me just investigate. So I called information. At the time, we had to call information and uh, asked for the phone number for NBC Studios. And they gave me the number and I called and then I asked for the Tonight Show offices. And then I said, can I talk to the person in charge of internships? And all of a sudden, I was talking to Regina Ackerman, the person who's in charge of internships. And after a really nice conversation, at first she rejected me and said, we're only doing uh, interviews for spring interns in the winter. Then I said, I'm not going to be there later to do this. Is there any way? And eventually she was able to, to fit me in. And I had the interview. I got the internship. And it was that internship that uh, exposed me to a writer who wrote an advice column at his college. And that's how I started writing my advice column. But uh, it, was, it was really amazing. And I rejected myself before allowing anyone else to reject me because the, the possibility of getting hurt was too great. Uh, I recognized that. I recognize it now. And whenever I feel that, uh, I pause. And I think, you know, somebody's got to do it. Why, why, why can't I at least try? The worst thing that's going to happen is somebody won't respond the way I want, but I'll be okay. You tell us in that chapter that there are three kinds of rejection. One is self-rejection. The second is rejection by circumstance, and the third is raw rejection. So you just gave us an example of self-rejection and recovering from it and um, having a, a, an internship because you pushed through uh, the uncomfortable feelings. What is rejection by circumstance and what is raw rejection? So rejection by circumstance would be there's a reason why someone or something isn't responding the way I want. When it came to syndicating my advice column, graduating from college, sending my submissions to all of these syndicates, well, they would reject me. And when they rejected me, I reached out to them and asked them the question, uh, you know, what could I do to be part of your team? Of course, I thanked them first, uh, but I wanted to understand. And they said, your content's really good. It's just right now, we're not looking for another columnist or we don't need another advice columnist. So that was the reason there was a circumstance and over time that circumstance could change, but sometimes that circumstance can't change. You know, there's a reason and it's something that we could never change. Uh, For example, if when I was single, there was someone who I wanted to date and they were taller than me. And the thing is, 
they don't date men who are shorter than them. I'm about five, five and a half on a good day with big shoes, maybe five, six, five, seven. And uh, this, this idea of somebody who isn't going to give me what I want and there's nothing I can do to change that, that's raw rejection. No matter what I say, no matter what I do, I'm never going to be tall enough to date this person <laughs> because they don't date anybody who's shorter than them. That's raw rejection. And there are situations where we can change the outcome, where the circumstance can change, but there are many situations where no matter what I say, no matter what I do, I'm not going to be able to change that outcome. And that's raw rejection. And the only way we can tolerate raw rejection, and this is foundational and I mentioned it before, is understanding at the root of discomfort is this law of nature, this universal rejection truth that says not everyone and everything will always respond the way I always want. And understanding that means that when I face raw rejection, instead of letting it be something that defines me or limits me, it's something that informs me. Information is not emotional. Information is data. And raw rejection tells me I need to take a different risk with someone else and put my effort in a different direction because I'm never going to get the results that I desire. It's powerful. But the only way that we can get comfortable with this process, get over the self-rejection, be able to work through the circumstance and face raw rejection is if we're willing to look at rejection, to understand it and become friends with it instead of running the other way when we see it. You invite us again and again in the book to reframe how we think of rejection. Um, you very compassionately lay out how most of us think of rejection, which is it's a shameful thing. And um, on page 45, you tell us you can finally shut down your shame factory, which I wrote on a sticky note and I'm keeping up on the wall. Um, and as we go through this, you invite us to have this new mindset towards rejection, which is we're going to get one of two outcomes every time we try something. We're either going to win or we're going to learn. And the learning part is what you give us the stamina to keep pushing through in the book with all of these tips and, and this sort of blueprint that you give us of how we're going to keep putting ourselves out there and deal with rejection um, so that it's a learning process and we're collecting data and we're sifting through feedback. You've mentioned um, about your family being very supportive, and you encourage us in the book to put together some various things that we're going to need so that we can come back from rejection and use it to learn and keep going. Um, you touched on it a bit, that it's people, places, and patience. So let's break down uh, the first part, which is people. How many people do you need in your corner? Is one enough? Do you need to have various groups you're plugged into? What is your optimal way of having people in your corner? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and I, and I want to touch on that. I also want to just touch on the dream factory and the shame factory, because you mentioned uh, you mentioned that I, that I refer to the shame factory. And I also wanted to uh, share that in our, in our minds, when we think of, of our everyday life and, and we process different outcomes, we have a shame factory and we have a dream factory. And the shame factory is constantly feeding us the negative self-limiting beliefs that keep us from taking risks and try to protect us. But ultimately, that shame factory is just limiting us and creating darkness. 
Then there's the dream factory, and the dream factory creates light. The dream factory is always fueling us and helping us to illuminate our path. But the thing is, our brain can only create one or the other. The dream factory can't run at the same time the shame factory is running, and the shame factory can't run the same time the dream factory is running. So the goal is to every day really be aware and mindful of which factory is running and what's fueling that? What am I? What fuel am I putting in that's creating this this output? This this either smoke, which is a shame factory, or the light, which is the dream factory. And those are the thoughts and the ways we frame everyday interactions, which can lead us to okay, when I want something and it makes me uncomfortable, and I want to create change, how do I do this? And this is where the people, places, and patience is so important. And you said, how many people do we need to help us to navigate change, to help us to get the results we desire? And optimally, I would say to start with three, at least three people. I think five people, having five people in your corner is great. Whatever it is you want, who is somebody who has done it, whatever you want, who's somebody who has figured out how to create light and overcome those obstacles when you want something, who are the people who are encouraging, who have been there and done it, who will tell you the truth, not just that you want to hear, but the truth you need to hear, people who you can find through education. Like when I talk to students, I do a lot of talking to students. I say, find the, find the kindest people, find the, the people who volunteer, find the people on, on boards, find the leaders, find the people who want to help. So when it comes to recruiting your people, it's people who you ask or enlist. It's people who you pay. I have a therapist who I pay to listen to me and help me to process every day. It's been life-changing have a ther- having a therapist in my corner. So it's people you pay, people who you enlist, and then people who volunteer. And even with that, you could find three people right there. But uh, but ideally, it's great to have more people. So as you go through your challenges, you can reach out to those people who have been there and done it, who can guide you and support you, who want you to get where you want to go. It's really important to make sure you have people who believe in you and your dreams, but also people who are going to be honest with you and help support you. When it comes to places, and and we can you know I, I could talk about this for hours, but places. A really important, you know, instrumental. When you want something, where are the places you can put yourself where you can sweat, play, pray, live, learn, lead, love, and work? Where can you sweat, play, pray, live, learn, lead, love, and work? Whatever you want, you need to find places. And you can find people in those places, or you can ask the people who are in your corner where they found their places. And by finding people who share common interests with you, people who have been down the path you want to go down, and understanding their places, you could then have the patience to persist as you take risk after risk and take a step in the direction of where you want to go. People, places, and patience. It is such a, it's, you know, your podcast. I'm sure you have people that you model, right, Dr. Gessler? Uh, yeah, before I started, I became like an interview junkie. I just listened to so many people do interviews in so many different ways, not necessarily podcasts, but various ways people posed questions. And I found that interestingly, I started watching various news programs because I wanted to see the body language of the person who was responding to the question, because my goal in setting this up 
was for my guests to be able to talk about what they want to in the way that they need to. And so I was trying to watch body language to be like, oh, you know what? That way of saying that makes somebody feel uncomfortable. I'm going to need to phrase things a little differently. So I, I sort of studied in a roundabout way what um, components I needed to put together in order to, um, as a startup podcast, um, have so many great guests come on because no one knew me when I got started. Yeah. And it's a great example of you finding those people and trying to understand how they're able to communicate and the places you find them online or you find them through other people you respect and admire. I, right now, you know, I'm, I'm doing some really cool stuff. Like I'm, I'm, I'm more excited about what I'm doing now than I've ever been in my whole life. Uh, I am interviewing college students. I'm interviewing alumni from colleges. I'm interviewing professionals. And I host these long-form interviews where these individuals get to share their stories of how they were able to go after what they wanted, how they found their people, how they found their places, and how they were able to persist. And then I'm able to show students, show middle school students, high school students, other college students, the path through these conversations to help other students to identify their their journey, people, places, and patience. And as part of this, you know, I've been, you know, I use this every day, every day when I want something, because I want something every day. I'm thinking people, places, and patients. Today, earlier today, I signed up for an online course with someone I really respect and admire. I haven't had the chance to build a relationship with him, but I'm now doing his course and, I, and I'm going to get to know him because I want to know him. He's a person I want to know. And the place he hangs out is in this course. And I don't have a relationship with him. So I'm putting myself in a place and I'm surrounding myself with his people. He doesn't even know that this is what I'm doing and it might work out or it might not. If anything, I'm going to learn something because I subscribe to the win or learn, but I want to figure out how to take what I'm doing and scale it. And the only way to do that is to find other people who have been there and done it and to put myself in those places and to be patient and continue to do what I love to do to reflect my light and shine. And that's what Win or Learn is about. Anyone can do this. Anyone. But nobody teaches us this. There are very few people who understand how to do this. A lot of times it's, it's self-taught or we have to be the one. School doesn't do this. Education isn't about this. So that's where I'm so excited because this blueprint and this formula, school is a place with people where students have the opportunity to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And when we can give them the tools, students, the tools to ask these questions and to get their dream factories pumping so their shame factories don't take over, well, then they're going to change their own lives and change the world. We've been referring to the concept of patience, and I think it's worth defining and talking about because I think it's something that a lot of people don't have. And I know earlier on, I thought I just wasn't a patient person, that it was something, a natural gift that one had. And so I talked to someone who's incredibly patient and they said, how do you think I got this way? It's an intentional muscle that you build. You just become more patient by being dedicated to the idea that patience is important and you're just going to bit by bit patiently grow your patience. Um, 
you talk about success as sometimes being longer, a longer game than we're expecting. And you invite people to put together a timeline that allows time to learn. And in our kind of go, go, go world, how do we have patience and how do we build a realistic timeline that's going to allow us to learn? Patience is so hard. I'm so glad you brought that up because by the time I'm done talking about people and places, usually my time is up. <laughs> so, so I'm not able to talk about patience because patience is the most important piece. Patience is the ability to tolerate discomfort while going after what you want. It's the time it takes to find your people and find your places. It's the time it takes to practice what it is you want to learn. It's putting an idea out there. It's processing the feedback that comes with putting something out there. It's data collection. And it's really hard to be patient, especially when there's so much noise and so many people who are doing so many wonderful things. So when it comes to young people, you know, I say young people, we're all, we're all young and in so many ways, but when it comes to students who are you know, in their teens, who are just graduating, who are like, go, 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 you know, give it 10 years, right? Just give it 10 years. Take your 20s. Your 20s are a time to experience and experiment. And when it comes to the different risks you're taking, instead of looking at something as the rest of your life, look at it as a three-month experiment or a one-year experiment. I'm going to try this job for a year and I'm going to call it an experiment because when I call it an experiment, I give myself room to learn and to grow. And this isn't something just true for students. This is true of anyone. You know, anyone, when you do something new, call it an experiment and it enables you to be patient and give yourself time to learn, to collect data, to reflect, and to be able to then move forward. And if you do that again and again, and you have a process, I love the book Atomic Habits. I think it's, it's wonderful because it talks about process. And when you have a process that you put into place and repeat again and again and again, you have the power to be patient. So when it comes to a finite timeline, I think the natural cycle of 10 months, you know, how, long it, how long it takes for a, a human life to form and be born, right? So 10 months is a great time. You could even call it a year. And within that year, I'm going to perform many experiments. And the outcome of those experiments are going to be a huge success. It's win or learn. That's how it works. You mentioned reflecting. Can we talk about the difference between reflecting and reacting? Yeah, there's um, a great Zig Ziglar uh, speech where uh, Zig Ziglar is a famous speaker and uh, my dad used to listen to a lot of Zig Ziglar. I, 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 like, I like Zig, but talks about the difference between reacting and responding. And, and I like to, to use those two because I think it really, it really helps people to understand, you know, a reaction is emotional. We don't really think about it. A response is something where we're able to really internalize and reflect and be able to then process and share in a way that we're going to be comfortable communicating in a way that when we finish the conversation, we're going to feel good. Reacting is sending the email right away, posting on social media, sending the text. Responding is breathing in and out a few times, giving it, I like 24 hours when possible. And that gives us time to reflect. And reflecting means looking inward. What is my role? Looking outward. 
understanding other people's roles, and then being able to be thoughtful and move forward. Uh, when we are reflective, we are less defensive, we are more present, and we're able to listen, and we're able to connect. So reflecting is not only about us really processing our own outcomes and feelings, but being able to connect with others. And I should mention in that same breath, you know, when, when someone takes a risk, and this, this is the last step, so it's kind of jumping ahead, but the reflecting part is so important because if you get the outcome you desire, great. Understand how you got it. A lot of times, you know, life's just a big fortunate accident. We don't know how we got what we got, so it's hard to repeat it. But when you can know how you got what you got, it's great because you could usually do it again. If you don't get what you get, I mean, if you don't get what you want, that's great too because you reflect. What is it that I did? Why isn't someone interested? You know, is it, am I the problem? Is someone or something else the problem? Or is the universal rejection truth and raw rejection the problem? So these tools that we, that, that I, that I share earlier in this, this book and process make it possible for us to reflect in a way where information isn't emotional. Information really is data and it informs us. You also make space in the book for us to have our emotions. You say on page 107, it will hurt. Put yourself in places where you can find community, turn to your people, be patient, celebrate the act of doing it. So you do acknowledge for us that we are going to have emotions when we get rejected and we are going to hurt. And that's why we need all of these um, support systems that you've outlined for us. Talk to us, though, about celebrating the act of doing it. Oh my gosh. I, I love, I love people. Uh, I love people who fight. I love people who are first generation. I was just thinking of a conversation I had a couple of days ago with these 22 year old, 21 year old students who have parents, moms who are first generation moms. And these moms work tirelessly to help their kids to get to college. And these students are doing amazing work, amazing work. And these, and these moms have been working really difficult jobs. And what I find is so many first-generation families, and especially parents, they don't always celebrate. You know, they, they don't know how to celebrate. They're so busy working, but they're such heroes. And, and they're the perfect example of people who are doing, 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 and have so much to celebrate, but can't, just can't see how much they're doing, can't see that they're superheroes. They're amazing. And we all, we all deserve to celebrate, to celebrate being, to celebrate doing, to celebrate listening to this, to celebrate just getting up and taking a step in a direction of light each day. And even if it's not a direction of light, celebrating. And that's, that's this idea of really finding joy. Don't focus on the outcome. Focus on the process, the process of doing. When you detach yourself from outcome, you are able to then be present and focus on the process. Too many people are attached to the grades or the money or the accolades. But when we focus on process, when we focus on doing every single day, then those things naturally, we don't naturally find those outcomes. So I I really love helping people to celebrate and see just how incredible they are uh, because we all need those wins. When we think about our natural tendency to react in a moment of being hurt, 
Um, and especially with social media allowing us to do something very quickly before we've taken the 24 hours to sleep on it. Um, you have a section in the book that tells us um, that that feeling might really happen. It's on page 106 and it's in, in a big block at the top of the page and it says, beware when something doesn't go your way and you want to attack, stop, breathe, turn to your people, go to your places, give it time, seek information, process the uncomfortable truth. Um, I'm guessing you learned that the hard way. Yeah. I mean, that's just been my, my life of just running into the fire and, and getting hurt. You know, uh, I, I, I wrote a book on dating and relationships uh, years ago. And I mean, that's a raw emotional space where you get hurt. You know, it's like you're putting yourself out there. And if someone doesn't respond the way you want, well, then you think you are the problem. It's, it's super painful to take risks. It's hard to say what you think. It's hard to express what you feel. And unless you have a plan, of, of how you're going to be okay if it doesn't go as planned, well, then you become too vulnerable and too raw and it becomes too painful to persist. But when you have a plan and you understand the obstacles that stand in your way, you have a much higher threshold when it comes to dealing with the pain and discomfort. And I, and I said that, you know, this is going to be painful. This is going to be hard, uh, but it's also going to be really fun and it's going to be interesting and it's going to be life-changing because if you take a step in the direction you want to go and dip your toes in the discomfort and you know you're going to be okay no matter what, it's going to be a really great adventure. You offer us a number of ways to find support for that great adventure. Uh, and one was an interesting piece of advice. You said, find a spiritual group. You don't have to be into God. You'll meet nice people and get free food. Um, I love that. <laughs> I love that. I'm, um, I, I belong to a church whose motto is all are welcome. And I, and I have invited people to come with me. And one person in particular I'm thinking of, I invited to come. And she said, but I'm an atheist. And I said, one, I wouldn't invite you in any space where you weren't welcome to be exactly as you are. And two, will you tell them that? They will love it. So she came and had a really good time. And fast forward, she's found a similar place in her own community where she goes. And they know she's not into the you know religious part, but she likes some of the projects that they're doing there. Yeah, it's important to find places where you can be welcome. I love spiritual groups. Uh, you know, I, I just think they tend to be people who are welcome and, and there are different spiritual groups that tend to be more welcoming to certain populations, but spiritual groups are generally pretty welcoming. You don't have to, you know, like take a Bible test or, you know, be admitted through some type of stringent process. Usually the doors are open. And I find that groups like that are really helpful when it comes to finding your people in places. Uh, now there are so many online communities as well. So if you have an interest really connecting in those communities and being engaged in those communities, when it comes to volunteering, uh, volunteer groups are great because they tend to be kind people who uh, love to offer and help others. So if you're around those people, you end up building relationships and then you learn about their interests and they can share their interests. Also, when it comes to people who are in positions of power and influence who volunteer and share their time. You know, those organizations where they're on the board, where they're participating, where they've shown an interest, those are great people to touch base with, to ask, where's a good place for me to 
connect with other people who are like-minded. Uh, but spiritual groups to me are just the pinnacle when it comes to at least when, I, when I'm working with college students of, you know, listen, you get free food. They're nice people. It's somewhere to go until you can find what it is you really want. And who knows, you might even end up enjoying it and wanting to go back again in the future. When we get to know people, there's a couple of things that you advise us to do. One is to ask for help when we need it. And you say that asking for help is a sign of strength. The other is that when we get comfortable talking to the person, it's great to ask them about their uncomfortable moment and how they got through it. Because as we collect up information about how other people got through rough things, we start to see tools for how to get through, but it also normalizes, as you said, rejection is one of the laws of the universe. And as these people who are around us start admitting that they had an uncomfortable moment, that they had a rejection, we start to see that it's happening to all of us. Um, and particularly if you're in a rough spot and this person is standing right in front of you and they look healthy and fine and they're saying, oh yeah, I've been through crap. It gives you hope like, oh, in the future, I'll be the one who can say that to somebody else who's in a rough spot. It's the best to see people who are in places of influence or, or places of, of power or or mentors and leaders it is awesome to hear about their rejection stories it's my I, I love these stories because we're all connected before I mentioned you know I'm I'm you know right now a middle-aged white man uh, who comes from a place of privilege like what do I possibly have in common with someone who is a first generation student? you know, from another country navigating all these changes who can barely take care of themselves uh, or family is struggling. And the thing that I've learned and when I talk to groups, I share this is I've just, I've been rejected so much and people are also, they're, they're surprised. Like, really, how did you get rejected? And I share my rejections and I share my pain and I share my struggles and I share my insecurities. You know, I never felt smart enough. I never felt good enough. Uh, I still struggle with my body image. Uh, I, I still uh, worry about being enough. I mean, I've, I've worked over the past few years to be much more spiritually grounded. So the me part of it has become far less important. And it's really enabled me to just be even more comfortable putting myself out there and connecting. But the rejection piece, you know, middle schoolers love to hear about my rejections. You know, how I, in, in eighth grade, there's a girl I liked and she said I was too fat to date, right? Like, like that's just, that hurt. Like that's hard. That's painful. Being a human being who has emotions and wants and needs is really painful. So, so this, this idea of talking to people who are your heroes, talking to people who are years into the future, asking them that question, what was your most uncomfortable experience and how did you get through it? What was the biggest challenge you faced in this job? Even if you're interviewing for a job or position, asking the interviewer, you know, what, what was the most challenging thing you faced in this position and how are you able to work through it? Because whenever somebody shares their greatest challenge, they're going to share humility. Usually there's rejection and you're surprised then you're going to discover their people and places and it's going to help you to get a sense of the culture and community. Right. I was, I was hosting an event for university of Connecticut. Oh no, I was hosting an event for, um, that was an interesting one too. It was like an Ivy league school. And, uh, I had the president and vice president share their rejections with the rest of the student government. And the freshmen and sophomores were like, oh my gosh, really? And one of them shared a reje a relationship rejection story. 
And as a result, they felt closer and more connected because rejection, it is, it, is the, it is the common thread that ties us all together. The bigger the, bigger the risk taker, uh, the, the, the more connections we have uh, along those lines. One of the things that, that you know, my heart goes out to is, is someone who's in a place where they're born into a culture or a society where they're rejected before they ever even have an opportunity to speak. You know, where they're rejected before they're even part of the, the world around them. Uh, what a horrible, unfair, painful thing. You know, that's the universal rejection truth. That's raw rejection. But for those students and for those people, I would say find someone you want to be. Find someone who's overcome those challenges. Find someone who's been able to get through that. And that's why I love the title of the book, Win or Learn. And based on Nelson Mandela's quote, I never lose. I either win or I learn. And you talk about finding safe people to share things with, which I think is part of why you mentioned spiritual groups and volunteer organizations. You can't assume everyone has a good moral fiber or character uh, and that they will be a safe person to be around, but you have odds that you'll find someone in that group who is a safe person for you to connect with and start talking with and and tell about struggles and, and really go with you on this journey. Um, what are other places? You you had a whole list in the beginning, and one of the things was um, that you thought we needed time to sweat. Can you talk about the unusual place you found some like-minded people when you decided you were going to run a marathon? Yeah, so there was a point in my life where I looked in the mirror and and decided I wanted to I wanted to change what I didn't love, or I had to tolerate what I couldn't change. And in fact, if, if you go to on TikTok, it's TikTok at Help Me Harlan, H-A-R-L-A-N. I just did a seven-part series on how I went on this risk-taking rejection experiment. And one of the one of the parts of this experiment, when looking in the mirror, is I looked at myself physically and I said, I really want to change these things. And part of that change was creating a challenge. And I decided I wanted to run the Chicago Marathon. And as a kid who cried in eighth grade when I had to run the mile, it was a pretty it was a pretty big pretty big goal. So I I found somebody who uh, had run a marathon and asked how they were able to you know, do the training and get involved. And I learned about I learned about this group called the Chicago Areas Runner Chicago Area Runners Association. CARA is the acronym. And Kara is this group where novice runners can get together. We, we met at the lakefront in downtown Chicago, and I think we started training in, I don't know, it might have been June or July for the October marathon. And we would run every weekend, and we would run a couple times during the week. And we all shared this common experience. And I found wonderful, wonderful friendships, and it enabled me to connect with people not even having to have conversation, we just had something in common. And and then and then I ran that marathon and I finished it. And it's something that I always feel good about and I always feel proud about. And I also was able to really build some wonderful relationships and find community while doing this uh, incredible challenge. It really wonderfully illustrates the importance of finding people who have a shared goal. You know, everybody in that club had the same goal. Absolutely. It's, you know, Dr. Gessler, when, when someone thinks about what they want to create change or experience, and, and they really give themselves the freedom to want to create change or experience anything, it's far less daunting 
and much more dreamy when you can think, okay, what do I want? All right. All right. Who are the people who have done this? Where are the places I can find some connection and community to reach my goal? And, and where can I be patient? Because I know it's going to be hard and uncomfortable. And just that simple thought process of what do I want? What makes me uncomfortable? People, places, patience. It opens up everything. And it helps us to be able to then live a life that's much more reflective of joy and light and uh, far less controlled by the darkness and shame that so many people experience. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Harlan Cohen, and telling us about your book, Win or Learn, The Naked Truth About Turning Every Rejection into Your Ultimate Success. You've been listening to The Academic Life on New Books Network. I hope you will please join us again.